Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast, part two of the Newcastle United end of season review. If you tuned into part one, you would have heard us go up to December, which left Newcastle winless in the Premier League. The club had been taken over, but Eddie Howe hadn't managed to have the impact everyone had hoped he would have. We head into the month of festivities and we start with a win against Burnley. Into December we go then and we can celebrate a win. Newcastle beat Burnley in St James's Park and I remember at the end of the game... I was set up in level seven, coming down the many, many, many stairs. And just the joyous nature of those celebrations. It was like Newcastle United had won a cup. You know, something to celebrate, their first win of the season. Thankfully, no one invaded the pitch. Well, because Newcastle fans are a bit classy and they, you know, they like just <laughs> to celebrate it like, um, like they, they should. Um, the flags were out yeah, on the pitch. Aaron, it, it wasn't the best game. As I've mentioned, I felt it was just too really poor teams and it came actually didn't the goal came from a mistake and Callum Wilson reacted really quick another sign of what he can do when he's fully fit he is I think in that top tier of Premier League strikers maybe you know towards the bottom of it but I think he is in that top tier and it's moments like that when you do realise if fully fit you've got some striker there and you know the win had to come at some time Newcastle were in the position where they couldn't be choosy Yes, not a, the best performance in the world, but three valuable points. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you that it was similar to the Watford game and the Norwich game where it was two teams that looked you know, doomed. And I think at that point, it didn't really matter how the win came as long as they got one. I mean, 4th of December without a win. And obviously, you know, a lot has been made of Eddie Howe being the first manager, you know, 14 games without a win and they've survived. But thinking back now that's a long time that is August to December without a win so like I say it had to come and, and the scrappy nature of it really didn't matter nobody cared that celebration at full time was as if they'd won something big you know it wasn't wasn't the type of win that was you know giving them their first three points of the season so yeah m- massive at the time and I probably naively thought oh you know they're going to kick on now they had tough games in December and obviously the, the next win didn't come to jam but yeah, m- much needed at the time and, and, and a massive game in the season. And that was the first time that the team photograph was taken yeah. in the dressing room and it's been taken with every victory since and Newcastle United fans love it. I'm all for it, you know. Let Newcastle United players, I think they're doing a bit tongue-in-cheek now, but let them do it, it's up to them. It has been served a lot of criticism from people on a, on a kind of a national platform. We know the new ownership... I've gone back to new now. Um, is going to get criticism because of all the elements in play. We know Newcastle is going to get increased attention because of the amount of money in play now and who the owners are. And I think the reaction to the team photograph, the reaction actually to how Newcastle United fans celebrated that day, I remember it from certain elements, um, you know, of social media, from whether it be fans or certain members on, on national platforms. They really did lean in Newcastle United fans for celebrating. One person just oh. 
you know, you've only beaten Burnley, but yeah, but it wasn't about that. It was about the first win under new ownership. It was about kind of signing off 14 years of Mike Ashley. And we, we might seem like in a bubble when we say, if you're not in Newcastle, you don't follow Newcastle, because of course you don't have to live on the banks of the River Tyne to follow Newcastle. We know plenty of our listeners come from all over the world and we love to have you guys on board. And we know Newcastle United as a club love to have you guys on board. There's no postcode, is it, to make you a better fan? So, if you, so let me say we don't follow Newcastle, then maybe you, you don't get it. And I, and I do actually think it is a very unique club and, and we're seeing this now with the reaction, the reaction to certain elements or certain decisions, certain things is so much more than it is for any other club. And the reaction to that team photograph, the reaction to the celebrations shows just how Newcastle United fans, are, what, what Newcastle United fans are going to have to get used to, the scrutiny on them now, on their club, you can either bite, you can either react on social media, or you can just say, do you know what? It's going to happen. We're off a duck's back. We'll get on with it. I think it came in the territory before the takeover, but I think the takeover is going to, you know, bring more of it, more of that scrutiny. And it's still, it still makes me laugh to this day how wound up opposition fans get about that team photo. You know, I remember when we beat Palace a couple of weeks ago, there was Palace fans going, oh, you've only beaten us. And it was like, well, yeah, but, you know, you do know we do that after every game. It's not just because we've beaten Crystal like Palace Crystal at Palace home. Trophy. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's so, I will say one thing, you know, how we're speaking about it a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure how keen he is on the photo. And I think it'll be interesting to see the first time they win a game next season if it carries on. Because even though you look at every time that photo comes out, I look at it and I look at all the players and how always one of the smiliest characters. But when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure how keen he is on it being public and the scrutiny that comes with it. So that'll be one to watch next season. But yeah, look, when that was born, you know, back in December and the first time they did it, you know, it felt like the, the right thing to do. And I still think even after that, it was the right thing to do. But um, yeah, it felt like a huge win and, and it doesn't surprise me that they thought, let's, let's capture this moment in the dressing room. It's just a sign of unity, wasn't it, I think? Mm -hmm. And it'd be interesting, though, because if they don't do it next season, they start on a bad run. You'll have people you know, saying, oh, it was the lucky it was the lucky picture. Football fans can be very superstitious, so um, it'd be interesting, like you say, what happens when they pick up their first win. We've mentioned their, their scrutiny, and we, we will just mention um, a bit more about the attention on, on the owners because we can't talk about the season and we can't talk about the takeover without addressing... You know the the elephant in the room for for many people, and that is the attention on, especially the Saudi side of things when it comes to human rights and 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 what what, what have you. I mean, for me, Aaron, we spoke about this prior on the podcast as well. You know, these are important elements to speak about. Uh, you know, I think the best way to to maybe bring about change in the long term is to make sure these points are being talked about. You know, Newcastle United fans are getting it from all angles. I don't think it's Newcastle United's fans responsibility to lead the charge for change that said i don't think it's the right decision just to brush things under the carpet you know we have to we have to you know concede that the owners of 80 percent of you know of the ownership of newcastle united is linked to saudi arabia and you know there are issues there that that you know don't sit well with many people and that's myself included yeah i think as us as journalists and I think fans listening and fans of the club can't brush it on the carpet, you know. Look, Newcastle United fans can't choose who owns the club, but they can choose how they react to the owners. And 
that means, you know, not parading Saudi flags on the stadium, not dressing up in, you know, the hedge garments and all that and not, you know, sticking the Saudi flag in their Twitter bio. You know, this should be simple stuff, you know. You can separate what they're doing and the atrocities out there with what they're going to do for the football club in the region while not supporting them. So, look, I remember back in October and, you know, we, us as journalists, we'd had a couple of years of having to sort of look into it a bit more because we'd had a couple of years of, you know, the Saudi takeover being talked about. But I remember when the takeover happened that I did an interview with a couple of fans who weren't happy and, you know, they felt they couldn't really support the club and got a bit of stick for that. I remember I interviewed Hattis Sengis, who's the widow of Jamal Khashoggi, got a lot of stick for that. And But I feel it's my responsibility as a journalist that you can't just say, oh, I'm not going to cover that because Newcastle fans don't like it. Newcastle fans need to realise that if they want to support this ownership for what they're doing on the football club, they have to look in the face of what they're doing in their own country. So it's a it's a minefield, you know. I know when I started my sports journalism course a couple of years ago, I didn't expect to be, you know, reading up on Middle Eastern political matters and stuff like that. But I think it is the responsibility of fans to um, to become educated on what's happening over there. The one thing I don't agree with is national media or other fans, you know, having a go at Newcastle fans for still supporting the club because I don't think that's right. And, you know, Newcastle United is the lifeblood of a lot of these people's lives and, and I don't think it's fair to say, oh, you know, you can just turn off your feelings like that. So, so yeah, it's a tricky one, but one, one we can't really close our eyes to. 100%. Um, we're sticking with December. Um, you had then the Leicester City defeat 4-0. It was then followed by defeats to Liverpool and Manchester City. I did feel after that 4-0 defeat to Leicester like Newcastle were done for. I just... I just couldn't see how Eddie Howe could turn this around going into January. I felt it was going to be hard for him to persuade quality players that Newcastle was the right place to come for them. I felt it would be loan deals and average loan deals at that. Um, as a, in a way, it was a fantastic January. But at that point, watching that game, I just I, I feared for Newcastle United. And um, I guess the thing that stood out for me was since that game... I think it was maybe last month or the month before, Eddie Howe specifically referenced the win that day against Leicester and he said they applauded us throughout that game. They applauded us off the field and that stuck with him. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but it was something along those lines where that really stuck in his mind for, for him. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbol of just how important the fans have been, not just on that day, but throughout the whole of the season. Just want to put a disclaimer in here that I'm not having to go at Bournemouth fans when I say this, but... Newcastle United fans are obviously a special breed and I don't think we're saying that because we're biased. I think a lot of people will agree. And I think Eddie Howe probably didn't realise this is what it's going to be like. He probably didn't realise that that away end was going to stick with them, even at 4-0 down. And that probably was a little reminder, oh, not a reminder, but a little awakening to him of, oof, you know, I'm at a big, you know, a special club here. But I agree with you. I remember watching that game on, on Sky and thinking, you know, this is a team still in trouble They've got their first win and to go from that straight to a 4-0 defeat. And I think it was the manner of the defeat. You know, the first half was okay and it was one of those second half collapses that we've seen a couple of times under Eddie Howe against the bigger sides. And the manner of the late goals conceded, you you were thinking, oh, this team's still, you know, suffering that hangover of the, you know, lack of fitness at the start of the season. Um, 
so yeah, it was one of the low points of Howe's of Howe's reign, and, and there hasn't been many of those. But it, it was a worrying game for me. You've, you've got the match report there on your on your phone. Just go down to the subs and remind me who came on. Because if I remember correctly, I think he made a few attacking substitutions. Did he when Newcastle went down? So yeah, Murphy, Fraser, and Richie came on for Lewis, Almiron, and Shelby. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you'd say Murphy for Lewis is attacking, Fraser for Almiron's probably like for like, and then Shelby for Richie is probably a... Slightly more. Yeah, slightly more I just remember him watching that game and thinking, oh, well, he is he's sort of going for it. I think he, he probably felt that in time. I'd rather concede a couple more goals uh, while trying to, to claw something back. And then we mentioned there, Liverpool City next in the running. And they conceded 11 goals in those three games, scoring just once. And it just reaffirmed the defence was not fit for purpose. You know, you know, people just... It wasn't following the men. It was just too easy. And I know it was against Liverpool and City, but, you know, it was just too easy for these good sides. And I did... I, I mean, December was December was a very difficult month. You get to Boxing Day, though. They faced Manchester United. They draw 1-1. And it was a game they should have won. It was a game they should have won. They had chances to. St Maximum got the goal. They had chances to, to go further ahead. I felt that was a very important, not just point, but performance. The performance there was key because it was actually, well, actually, the, you know, we're not just a team that's going to get thumped by the top sides. And I know Manchester United haven't had the best of seasons, still a, a top side, though. This was a, a, a performance which said, you know, we, 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 can, we can handle ourselves here. And it was the first time, I think, uh, me personally st- stood up and went, okay, maybe... Maybe anyhow has got a little bit of magic here, and he, he can he can he can you know turn this around. Yeah, I remember watching that game and thinking at full time, you know, that was that was two points dropped there. You know, they really should have beaten Man United, and it was only really for Cavani's sort of equaliser off the bench that they managed to salvage something. But I think that was the game for me where Joe Linton really showed that he could have a you know a future in centre midfield. He was absolutely dominating um, Fernandez in, in, in that game and Fred as well um, but yeah it was good to see after those you know like you say 11 shipped in three games and you know the, the manner of those defeats to see that actually they could welcome one of the big six to St James's and actually get something off them and then in typical Newcastle United fashion they play Cambridge in the FA Cup and get knocked out and not just knocked out it wasn't a lucky goal from Cambridge Newcastle were fortunate not to be knocked out by more than one goal. Cambridge on that day were, were really, really good and deserved it thoroughly. And I was left there thinking, it in many ways, it was more than just getting knocked out of the FA Cup. And maybe it was a an instant reaction. Newcastle fans, we could, you know, any football fan can be guilty of this. But I just was left thinking, that's more than just an exit. Because... How can you go from performing so well against Manchester United? You then have brought in someone like Kieran Trippier. Yeah. You know, there's a buzz. You know, it's his debut buzz, and then performs so badly against what league are they in? Two, one, one. League one, yeah. You know, and I've, I mean, I've seen Cambridge actually. I went down to Cambridge and saw them play MK Dons, and um, MK Dons weren't at the best, but played Cambridge off the park. And you're thinking, I'm thinking, Castle got beat by this lot, and it was worrying that day because I just felt you've performed so well against Manchester United how have you dropped off 
because it wasn't a weakened side, was it? No, it was a full. It was it was pretty much full strength. I mean, you had crafted centre back, Richie was at left back, Murphy was left mid, but yes, you still had Maxi, Shelby, Fraser, Trippier, Dubravka, Shaw. I mean, that's a that is a full strength team pretty much in January. It was like it was like some of them turned up and felt we can win this game. Yeah, that's all we got to do. And Cambridge just wanted it more, and you, for the first time, I felt you know the, the groans went around the stadium, and it was really interesting because you could you could you could feel and you could hear people trying to contain themselves, mm-hmm. like you know, yes, they were angry and upset, but they understood that you know reinforcements are going to come in in January. That Eddie Howe has got a lot of work to do. The damage was for some already done well before how came in and it wasn't just a case of a new manager it was a total rebuild job and this is this was always going to be part of it and it was just it was remarkable and that that was the power of the takeover you know if that had been the steve bruce that stadium would have emptied yeah and bear in mind again i think they put a deal on didn't it to get you know kids in and stuff mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry if i'm wrong with that but i'm sure they did that stadium would have been emptied those who had stayed it would not have been a very nice atmosphere it would have been toxic but it was it was just that's what the takeover gave. It gave a clean slate um, to Eddie Howe to the club, and that was another moment where you go with it. Everyone is united here. Mm-hmm. We've been knocked out by Cambridge, but things aren't you know people aren't shouting, people aren't kicking up a fuss. They're just accepting we're better as one. That's how we're going to get out of this mess as a united force. You had the you had the clean slate of the takeover, as you say. You had. How still being relatively new, you know, you'd only been in the job two months. You had Trippier's debut. Those were the three sort of silver linings that sort of softened the blow a bit. But I remember leaving the ground that day thinking, and look, I don't, I, be careful what I say here because I don't think the the fans ever turned on How. There was never a moment where they thought he was the wrong man for the job. But I will say that there was just maybe a little bit of, wonder as to whether look they've still only won one game they've been knocked out of the cup in really really poor fashion if they don't get someone at Watford and Leeds in the next two games and we're heading into February with one win I think it was a it was a it was a crucial moment and I think Howe knows that and Howe's said since that it was the turning point and how I've noticed has got this thing of there's certain defeats that he's had in the, in the first season, granted there hasn't been many, that he'll take as positives. And he's glad that happened. Cambridge has won. He said it a lot after Tottenham. You know, that it's a reminder. So maybe, look, I mean, it, it prompted an amazing run after, but at the time it felt it felt like a really, really low day in the season. Of course, the owners were in the in the crowd and Alan Marnie was there and they went down. That got a bit of criticism, but we'll, we'll not bother talking about that because, you know, Okay, it's maybe not a done thing by owners, but who cares? Let them go into the dressing room. You know they've had criticism since as well, which is boring on ridiculous. But but anyhow, they went into the dressing room, and you know the word is that they kind of just reassured how and said we're here for you. And you know that was another another element of this unity that that has been there really since since Eddie Howe had could come in and replace Steve Bruce. Yeah, I mean how touched on it after Arsenal the, the other week, you know. We saw the scenes at full time against Arsenal where the owners were on the pitch and hugging Anton Deck and hugging Bruno and all that. And uh, in the press box, you know, we, we asked how what they'd said and he went, they've encouraged me tonight, but they encouraged me after Cambridge. You know, there's never been a moment where they've doubted me. 
They've never not offered their support. They've always been pulling in the same direction, which just goes to show, like you say, the unity that's been on display in the last couple of months. Giant transfer window as a whole, very successful. I think Newcastle United owners found out about themselves in terms of how far they're willing to go. They walked away from deals when the money was, was too much for certain players, which was, I thought, really good. We found selling clubs were very much willing to ask over the asking price because they think Newcastle's got an endless pot of money. Very interesting to see what happens this summer. But the players they bought in, like I said, I was always worried about how they would manage to persuade top players to come in. Fighting relegation is a very difficult sales pitch. As it were, they signed you know, Bruno Gomesh, one of the best midfielders in Europe, Dan Byrne, who I admit hadn't really followed, didn't really know much about, but he's been really, really good, aside from a few performances. Kieran Trippier, you know, unbelievable leader on and off the pitch. Matt Target, really clever little deal, that. And then uh, Chris Wodekey hasn't scored the goals, but that goal that he scored against Crystal Palace, that had a very important, and he's done a decent enough job to carry Newcastle United through. Um, just, yeah, how would you sum up that January window? Yeah, a really good window, and I think an important month for the owners, you know, it's, it's their first window, they've got all this money at their disposal. They could have quite easily, you know, went and paid above the odds for Diego Carlos, who's, you know, 28, 29. They could have easily went and paid above, you know, above the odds for other players and, you know, disrupted the, you know, the sort of, dressing room feeling but I thought it was a clever deal you had a clever window sorry you had Bruno and Trippier who were obviously that step above and better than what Newcastle have been used to in recent years you've signed Target and Wood and Byrne who are all respected you know long term Premier League players so I think you know they, they couldn't have done much more Um, yes Chris Wood hasn't hit the ground running but you know with Wilson's injury and injury record you had to sign another striker and you know at the time we thought it would damage Burnley which you know essentially it did so yeah gr- great window and and even after the window I don't think I ex- you know expected it to turn out how it did you know especially the likes of Bruno it's been something special hasn't it then Newcastle win 1-0 at Leeds it was backs against the wall job but a big big win only the second win of the season came from a John Joe Shelby free kick Newcastle Really had to rely on Martin Debraca towards the end of the game to pull off a few fantastic saves. And that win took Newcastle United seven points behind Leeds. They ended up finishing 11 points ahead, which just sums up how well Newcastle United have done since then, what a job Eddie was done. But that win was a really, really important three points, wasn't it? Yeah, huge. And I remember um, the feeling after that game was of, right, okay, this is it now. You know, the game before we'd, They'd lost to Cambridge and then they had the Watford draw where they sort of threw that away again. You know, they went ahead and they conceded really late to that Jao Pedro header. So it was imperative to win, you know, because of how the table looked. But I think as a dressing room, what a sigh of relief it must have been, you know, collectively. And as we've seen since, you know, it, um, it, it was the start of this amazing run that eventually pulled them to safety. So you, you, you were running out of teams... You know, yeah. if, if you can't beat this team, who are they going to beat? Oh, don't worry, they don't beat that team, they'll beat this team. Yeah. This was a team that under... There, there, was not an, an ex, there was not a chance that Newcastle could fail to beat them. They had to go out and win that game. Mm-hmm. And to do it 1-0 in the way they did, you know, really, really important because if they'd lost that game, 
you were then scratching around, looking around, thinking, well, who can they beat? As it was, they beat them. It was the first win, wasn't it, of this unbeaten run. We then head into February, and you have the Everton win, which for me was controlled. They dominated Everton. Lampard's first game, wasn't it? Everyone felt Everton would get an instant boost, but Newcastle were just... There's been certain performances which stand out under Eddie Howe this season. Everyone looks at the Arsenal game, don't they? But really, for me, I think that Everton game was, was, yeah, you know, was, I'm going to say, actually, for me, the best performance Newcastle had. And I know they were brilliant against Arsenal and everyone would be now chucking their phones out the window or what have you. <laughs> but I just, I don't know what it was about that game. I just felt it was just, they just controlled it really, really well. And the other element to that is that everyone expected Bruno Gomeresh to start War flags had a flag out, and I remember being in the pub when the team news came through, and there was an act, there was a groan around the whole pub. You know, why isn't Gunnar starting? What's Eddie Howe doing? It was the right call, you know, and it just showed you Eddie Howe's ruthless streak. He's going to have to be ruthless in the summer. It just showed that he's not afraid to make the decisions which aren't necessarily popular. You know, who's who's to say that he's not going to have a Kevin Keegan moment on the steps if he has to sell Callum Wilson or Alan St. Maximum? Do you know what I mean? I say have to, decides to. But you wouldn't bet against him, you know, making those tough decisions. And the Bruno Gamaresh not the start on what was the first opportunity to do so was, I think, a real sign of, of just what Eddie Howe is about. Yeah, I agree. And I think it would have been... So easy, wouldn't it, just to fit him in? And how clearly didn't think he was ready? How clearly wanted to bleed him in slowly, you know, drip feed him games, which he eventually did on minutes in in games. I remember I was I was sat in the Lisas for the game, and uh, Bruno came to warm up down the touchline. No one had seen him play, you know, apart from a few clips on YouTube, maybe the odd Leon game in the Champions League. And the full stadium starts chanting his name, and I was thinking, you know, this is a. Uh, this is a transfer that we haven't seen a like of in a while. But like you say, there was that clamour to start and fans were desperate to see it and and credit to how for sticking with his guns and thinking, no, I'm not ready or he's not ready and I don't want to change the team that's just won it at Leeds. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I personally think the Arsenal game was, was the best performance of the season, but I, I don't think the Everton game is far behind. And I remember it was Lampard's first game. They'd had a big January window themselves Deli Ali, Van der Beek, um, that new left back that obviously had uh, signed on a Rafa to replace Luca Dean, and yeah, Newcastle Newcastle made them look like an average team, and and it was a another you know massive three points for them. I'll just say for the context of me choosing this Everton game, it's probably because I was I was there. I didn't manage to get tickets for the Arsenal game, so maybe if I'd been at the Arsenal game and, and experienced the atmosphere as opposed to watching it on TV, it would have had my pick. Um, and then, well, actually, we, we mentioned earlier, we, we saw Joe Linton. I think Joe Linton had another brilliant game that game, and we saw that aggressive nature of his, which was which was really important. But I just think it was just a, it was just a big sigh of relief to, to see Newcastle finally really dominate a game. They then go up against Villa, and a totally, totally different game. They win it 1-0. Trippier goes off injured after scoring again in that, in that game. Um, uh, sorry, he scored against Everton as well, didn't he? Um, and then scores against Villa. But he goes off injured and instantly the mood comes down somewhat. But what was really important, I felt, that although the mood came down, it wasn't like this is a disaster, was I think under Mike Ashley, under Steve Bruce, mm-hmm. even under Rafa Benitez to an extent, if you lose your star player, 
you are pulling your hairs out. You're watching the rest of the game behind your hands. You know, you, you don't want to see what's going on. And then that has a knock-on effect for the next few weeks until Trippier is back. But there was just something Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall had done where you go, okay, yeah, he's a very important part of this team, but he's not the only one who can step up. And who would be sitting here saying, actually, Emil Kraft well, and giving him a round of applause? This is, this is what I was just about to touch on. We've, we've talked about the closing doors moment for Kieran Clark. If Trippier hadn't got injured, we would probably be saying goodbye uh, to Emil Kraft this summer because he hadn't really shown what he could do before Trippier's injury. The last sort of 10 games of the season, you can't go, you know, say there's many players that have done better than Emil Kraft. And it's delighted that he's, that he's shown finally that he has a place in this team. But I agree. I think, you know, there was that sort of our oh, collective, oh, you know, we've lost Trippier. He's obviously an incredible player in this team and obviously he'd scored the, the opening goal but there wasn't that you know okay look we're going to have to sit back and all this it was a it was a you know what it is it's a performance that other teams are used to but being at Newcastle as you said under Bruce under Benitez at times they would have been back to the wall so yeah another big win in that run you know, between Grandview and March that, that obviously eventually paved the way to survival but yeah a, a huge win another time where the crowd at home showed what they can do because Aston Villa towards in that game were really peppering Newcastle's yeah. box and they really had to dig in and it was it was really nice to see the contrast between that Everton and, that, and the Villa victories one dominant one not so much one digging in but it showed the two different sides which I think we've seen quite regularly actually since that February uh, run of games where Newcastle can dig in when they need to they can dominate when they need to I'd like to see them be a bit more clinical when they are dominant but that'll come in time with the players assigned Eddie Howe as a full pre-season etc etc but yeah I, th- I felt February was a real turning point just in terms of showing what this side and Eddie Howe can really be we go into March Bruno's first start which is only testament to John Joe Shelby Joe Willick and Joe Linton and even Sean Longstaff who only got a few moments off the bench every now and then but when he did he did alright new contract obviously has been signed but that run of games where Bruno didn't get a start, you know, one of the best midfielders in Europe, big money sign, everyone thinks he's going to be an instant start. That's why he's been brought in. He's shown actually why he is going to be the first <laughs> name on the team sheet since. But in that, you know, few weeks, it's just, as I say, a testament to those three players I've mentioned for stepping up a level and then doing it on a consistent basis as well. Yeah, definitely. And as you touched on there, how kept saying in his press, I don't want to change this winning team, you know, it must have been hard for him to have to, you know, balance, do I keep this the same three or do I finally unleash Bruno? And I think Bruno was clearly thinking, I've got to prove myself here when he went down to St Mary's on the 10th of March. And yeah, I remember obviously he scored that fantastic goal, the flick that we will all remember. But just in terms of what he was like on the ball, Different know, class. he just showed, didn't he? He showed he'd arrived and he showed that once he was in that team, there's no way he's getting booted out of it again. He was, he was, it was fantastic. A, a, one of the best performances he's had, um, if not the best, since he, since he arrived in January. He's been un- unbelievable, you know, just the way he draws fouls, the way he picks a pass out. We'll talk about in a moment the goal that Almiron scored against Crystal Palace. I mean, the pass for that, unbelievable. But... I, you know, the, the good thing now about having no owners who are going to back the manager and having a manager who's set really high standards is that even the best player you've got, so that in many people's opinion, is Bruno Gamoresh, 
is that he has to be at his best week in, week out to keep his place because he knows that there's people behind him who are ready to get his place in that side. And if they sign, say if they sign his best mate, Paquetta, in the summer, they go out and sign somebody else, he knows that I might be in this side now, but if my form drops off, there's a good chance I'll be on the bench. And that is exactly what you want. And that's exactly how you become a very good Premier League side. And it's exactly what Newcastle United have been missing for the last 14 years, is that element of competition. And frustratingly, Aaron, it is one of the basic makeups of a Premier League football side. You should have competition in nearly every single position, or actually, no, screw it, every position on the football pitch, but not just of average, you know, they should be top-level players in every position, and that is hopefully what Newcastle United are going to get. Yeah, I think it will. I think, let's just say they have a big summer this summer, which, you know, we're expecting. If they go out and sign a striker and another centre midfielder and a... Another centre back, then instantly you know that drops the likes of Wilson and you know Willick to the bench, which is obviously a negative for them. They're going to have to fight to get their place back, but it just means that they're going to have more depth. The thing that I'm thinking about Bruno is we've spent four months, you know, stroking his ego rightly because he's been the best player on the team. He hasn't experienced what Joe Linton experienced, where he's not the main man. He, Bruno's the main man now. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts when there's a team full of Brunos mm. and everyone is of that quality. Are we still going to be picking them out? Well, Hopefully. It's, it's funny because one man who has had to adapt to that exact situation is Alan at Maxman. You know, John Gibson mentioned it last month in one of the, the previous episodes. St. Maxman has been used to being the big number one, the best player in this side. Gumresh has come in and he has stolen his thunder. Other players like Joe Linton have stepped up, and suddenly Alan at maximum. You know, in the eyes of quite a few people, maybe isn't even number two, three. You know, he's down that list. You know, you know, he's fourth or fifth, um, and he's had to adapt to no longer being not only the first name on the team sheet, but the big, big star. How do you think he has adapted to it? He, he's very hit and miss. On his day, he's fantastic. On his day, I can see him having a prosperous future at Newcastle then he'll, a week later he'll just be anonymous and I just think mm, I'm not sure I'd like to see him stay the summer I think he will purely because I don't think anyone will pay the money for him I'd like to see you know have a full season under how with better players around him but I think he does have to raise his game a bit I've said this time and before he needs to add goals and assist anybody that listens to the podcast is probably sick of me saying it because I say it every week but he does and Yes, he was, you know, close to being Newcastle's top scorer. He was the top scorer of the season, but, you know, the bar was very high. And I think if he really wants to be a top-level player, then he does need to improve that side. But look, you can still count on him to change a game. You can still, you know, count on him to beat a man if he if he gets that, you know, decision-making side of his game improved. Then I think we've got a top player on our hands. But next season's a big one for him. I feel like it's make or break for St. Maximum next season. 100%. We'll head into April then. Leicester, uh, what, a, what a day at St. James Park. That game, that last-minute winner from Bruno Gumresh. You know, what a header <laughs> that was. To to sprint 80-odd yards, you know, a fantastic cross into the box, and he just flings himself at it. But what I love, it's not just like a dive and hole. He watches that ball every bit of the way, and he knows where he's putting it. Whereas most players in that situation, they'll just chuck themselves, arms in the air, never hits as it hits us. 
but well, maybe maybe I'm, I've fallen in love too too quickly with Gummy Rash, but I thought it was a really classy finish, and it was in many ways it felt like the last game of the season, and Newcastle still hadn't yet um, mathematically secured safety. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously looking likely that they were going to stay up, but they still need to get those points, and I think that was something that how you know drilled across across to both us and his players was that you know we don't take our foot off the gas now. Um, Leicester had obviously you know had that game in midweek and there was that feeling around St James is that look the run we're on we can probably nick something it was a special atmosphere and I mean at the time obviously I was sat in the, the press area and obviously there was that pandemonium of, of the goal going in but it wasn't until I watched it back on Sky and if anybody hasn't watched the goal back which I'm sure everybody has I mean I watched it about 20 times the next day but when Joe Willick's running down the left hand side you're just waiting for Bruno to appear in the, in this on the screen, but he doesn't. He's that far back. He's in like Newcastle's own half, and all of a sudden you just see. And I think for that in the 94th minute, you know, to make that eight-yard run or whatever it was, to get that goal, it just shows that you know not only is he a class technical player, but you know as we've touched on in the podcast before, he's got that. You know that winning streak, Donny. You know he's he's a Newcastle have got that winning yeah. mentality. Yeah. that's that's mm-hmm. the difference. You know yeah. they want to win every game for Eddie Howe. They want to win every game for this club. And Eddie Howe has installed into these players that you're going to play your heart out until that final whistle goes. Whether you're getting beat three one, whether it's two two, and we saw it there. We've seen it um, in other games where they just you know it doesn't matter who they're playing. Eddie Howe wants to win every single game, and we saw that against Arsenal. We saw that against Burnley. And it is refreshing to have a Newcastle United go into games, not paying teams too much respect, not fearing them. We'll concentrate on what we can do as a team. United, we are better as one. We have talented players and we can we can beat anybody. And we will lose games. But as long as we give our all, then that's all that matters. And I think that will continue um, as long as Eddie Howe is in charge. We get into the final few games then of the season. I just want to briefly mention Crystal Palace. Um, Miguel Almiron's goal. Gamaresh, fantastic pass. The goal from Almiron, absolutely superb. I mean, the finish. Well, actually, let's go before then. The strength, get the defender off him, get the effort into the top corner, the celebrations afterwards, absolutely superb. Um, and that was the game, I think, where most people... Felt that, yeah, this is it now. Newcastle, Newcastle safe, but also Fortress St James's Park. Yeah, you know this is this is you, you've got you've got to come to St James's Park and you've got to be on your very best performance to, to take Newcastle United down. Yeah, I mean Palace made it easy, but I think the crowd you know help help that. I think it was the same at Arsenal. Arsenal were poor, but you know Newcastle and the you know the twelfth man so to speak didn't let them have an easy time of it. Miggy, fantastic goal. I mean, we've waxed lyrical about it. I think Grealish must have missed that game. Must have been, <laughs> must have been watching on Sky. But um, yeah, you know what it was. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, and it was about you know players are playing for their future. And Miggy was one of them, and Murphy's one of them, and Almiron obviously came on. Um, sorry, started that game, and um, you know really showed. You know that's what we've been missing. If he could do that every week, you know we'd be laughing. But it, he's just another one that can't really find that consistency. But Great to see him. I mean, I love it when Miggy scores because, you know what I mean, you just can't help but love him when he's, you know, celebrating and stuff. But, yeah, great performance and another one that showed, you know, what St. James's Park can be like 
um, you know, when it's really rocking on the home game. It was a fantastic midweek game. And I, the one thing I mentioned this when we reviewed the Palace game, but I was there and it was my dad's 60th birthday. And for some bizarre reason, he decided to turn up wearing a Christmas jacket. So if anybody was <laughs> in the leasers, and there was a fair few people pointing this out, that there's a, a very strange man wearing it in your cast United jacket, that was my dad. And I can only apologise for the sight of him in a bright red jacket with green Christmas trees. So um, apologies. Um, imagine sitting next to him for 90 minutes. Um, we're getting to, to May then, and Newcastle play Arsenal. You've said there, Aaron, for you best performance of the season yeah I think I think it was I think they played them off the park from the first minute the game plan was obvious from the first second and that was get the ball put pressure on Gabrielle and Ben White who probably weren't at full fitness St Maximum you know sent Tommy Asu off early in the game because I think the defender just had enough of trying to mark him and take the ball off him every single player on the pitch was fantastic that atmosphere was amazing pre-game during the game post-game it was one of those nights where you just think, what on earth is this football club going to be like when they actually get going? And if that's what they're like celebrating, you know, the final home game of what's been a positive, but, you know, a turbulent season when things go a bit smoother. Going to have some football club on my hands. But yeah, House said it in his, in his post-match presser and I think a lot of us agree with it, that it was the best performance under him and, and I think that showed. I remember going up to the stadium and helping War Flags... Uh, for the Crystal Palace display, the St Maximum display. And so I went around, I, d- I did the podcast and we, we put an episode out kind of behind the scenes. And one of the, the chaps said to us when they were doing for the Wolves display, and they said um, the, the players arrived on the coach and they came out and had a look at the, the pitch and, and they must have been, War Flags must have been making you know, the final touches. And um, they said, is it? Is it always like this? Are these flags always here? They thought it, they thought it was a special occasion, and uh, they were like, "No, no, yeah, they always yeah, it's not, it's not like a, it's not just a one-off." And you know, you do think, what do the opposition players think when they come out to that cauldron of noise? The flags are waving, and especially like the Arsenal game and the game prior to that when they went around the whole stadium. I mean, they've been around the whole stadium for quite a few games. Like, there's not just one kind of standard look out of your an opposition player. You go, oh, "That's a bit." you're literally looking around you've got nowhere to hide mm-hmm. um, and I know it's not necessarily done to, to make the opposition fear it's done to pay tribute to the to the to Newcastle fans but a little bit of element will be to really rattle those opposition players before they come out and it must be a remarkable experience I'd love to know what the opposition players really do feel when they walk up them steps and they look left right oh good it is all around the stadium I mean obviously next season we'll know that you know tickets will be like gold dust I mean if you if you haven't already got a season ticket, then I don't think, you know, you've got much hope of, of getting one. But if they can, you know, replicate what they've done the last couple of games at St. James's, the crowd, I mean, going into next season, it's going to become even more of a, of a fortress, especially if better players are signed. But I think not just for the opposition, but I think we've seen it a couple of times that St. Maximum display really touched Alan. Um, you know, he was really, really pleased by it. Dan Byrne the other night against Arsenal was looking around as if to say, you know, how amazing is this? Any player watching those games on Sky or in attendance must be looking and thinking, I wouldn't mind playing here, you know what I mean? And the owners have came in, done a fantastic job, Howe's done a fantastic job, but things like the new training ground and getting more flags and stuff like that, it's just another element that is going to attract top players to this club. 
So yeah, long mate last. I've said it before, I've said it again, I'll say it in the future. Cannot give War Flags enough credit for what they've done. They've, they've done an incredible job. Mm. You mentioned there the likes of the training ground. These owners came in, they made all these promises, they said all the right things, but they were acting on it. That's the important thing. They got War Flags and kid relatively easy to do. You want to come back? Yeah, sure. But the training ground, you've got to get the application into the council. So you then got to put money into it. The Alan Shearer statue, you've got to put an application at the council. So they then got to pay the you know the crane company to lift it over, the sculptors, the foundation people. You've got to then get the you know the sign. There's a, there's a payment there. These all things cost money. And yes, to a relatively wealthy group of people, it's only money, and you know, but it's time, it's effort, and again, it's it's an easy gesture in many people's eyes. But they didn't have to do it. They didn't have to rename Shiva as well. They didn't have to move the statue. They could wait two, three years down the line to replace the, the training ground. But they're not. They're moving quickly. They're moving fast because they understand all these elements not only play into a happy fan base, and when a fan base is happy, it's a big boost to the, to, to the club, but also play into the underlying foundation of a successful club. You need a training ground with a swimming pool in it, with a hydro pool. You need something... Um, like that to, to, to carry on to the next level I think like you say the promises that they've made so far they've kept you know they've got above and beyond really I mean and sceptics and you know cynical people will say oh you know it's for PR oh look at you know Stavely doing the lap of honour and blah 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 Stavely and Murdad wouldn't be it you know under 23 games when there's no cameras there women's games women's training sessions what they've shown, both in public and behind the scenes from what you know, we've seen of them, is that they really do care. You know, this isn't a money thing, this isn't a PR thing, this isn't to boost their reputation. They are absolutely committed to making Newcastle United one of the biggest clubs in the world. And I think it's just such an antidote to what we've had the last 14 years. Still doesn't feel like it's real, to be honest. It still feels like one day we're going to get snapped out of the dream, but... Um, yeah, I think what they've done so far is fantastic. Um, there'll be bumps in the road. Everything's been plain sailing recently. It's interesting to see how they'll react when maybe the backs are against the wall or it isn't going so well, but can't fault from what they've done so far. It's been a fantastic, fantastic six or seven months. Definitely, and just a quick word for the food bank. Uh, Jim Rubin matching every donation uh, from every home game this season. He's going to continue to do that next season around, um, well, it was £140,000 between Jamie Rubin and, and the fans has been raised since that Spurs game. Don't think that included the last total from the Arsenal game, so it may be a little bit higher, which is unbelievably fantastic and a great gesture to see continue next season as well. Um, we were going to talk about the Burnley game, but I don't think there's much really to be said than that. And that was a great way to round off the season, where fans having a party down at Turf Moor, they... Castle were professional in what they had to do. You know, can't have any complaints. Um, you know, had Leeds gone down in place of Burnley, if Burnley had beaten Newcastle, because Newcastle put up a, a good performance, a strong team, as it were, Newcastle won that game. Nice timely reminder of what Callum Wilson can do ahead of the summer. Um, you know, Newcastle, we understand, are going to go after a striker. It's going to be have to be some quality striker to keep Callum Wilson out of the side. Uh, so a nice to see him bag a couple of goals. And... I think, just to, to finish off, Aaron, we will just get your view. Um, you know, We'll keep it to a sentence or so, but what are you most looking forward to for next season? Ooh, I mean, there's many things I'm looking forward to next season. I think 
just having a club to be proud of again. I know it sounds so cheesy and corny, but we've had 14 years of neglect and we've had a little glimpse this season of what it can be like. So I'm excited to see after a full summer, you know, what we can really do next season. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I think, I think it'll be even better than we've had recently. Certainly going to be exciting. And that is the end of season review. Newcastle finished 11th in the Premier League. The first club to survive after winning none of their opening 14 Premier League games. The run of form included a nine-game unbeaten run. St. James's Park becoming a fortress once again. Some brilliant players being signed in the January window. War flags coming back and turning Newcastle and St. James's Park into a spectacle before kick-off. Unbelievable things have gone on. Unbelievable things are to come as well. We'll try and keep Aaron's feet on the ground as well as everybody else's. We also just want to thank you guys for tuning in week in, week out. We'll still be here every week during the summer. There'll no doubt be plenty to talk about, whether that be rumours, work around the ground, work around the training ground. There will be plenty of episodes still to come. And of course, the season will be upon us even before we know it. We'll have the fixtures, of course, in just a few weeks' time. And the season doesn't uh, kicks off on the 6th of August. So it's going to come around pretty, pretty fast. But um, stick with us. Please remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider. Totally free to do. Just means with every new episode we upload, you will get a notification saying it's ready to download or listen to. And leave us a rating and review if you get the chance as well. Helps us get the podcast out to a wider audience. And we will be back very, very soon. Head over to chroniclive.co.uk where you can keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news.